0: My guest this week grew up obsessed with sneakers, but he wasn't trying to collect them or put them back in the boxes. He looked at them and saw, hey, I bet I could make these a little better. Well, after making shoes for LeBron James, Justin Bieber, and countless others, and launching the custom sneaker revolution, I think it's safe to say he has. My name is Jeremy Kirkland, and this is Blamo, a podcast exploring the world of fashion with the people who shape it. My guest this week is Dominique Cimbrone, the shoe surgeon. Dominique and I discuss mental health, making shoes for Justin Bieber, getting business advice from Guy Fieri, and how mentors can change our lives
1: and the power of empowering others. This is a big one. Um, cool. Well, th- thanks so much for, for chatting and making the time. Uh, um, how are you doing?
2: I'm well, man. It's, uh, it's, been, a cr- it's been a crazy five months, but it's, uh, I'm in great spirits right now. Yeah. Yeah.
1: What is what is the whole quarantine life been like for you?
2: Man, it's uh, we built out. You know, we just signed a lease in a new space, sixteen thousand square feet. So uh, we built out a lot of it. We still have a lot more building to do. Um, no more traveling, which I was traveling two to three times a month. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've been stuck at. I mean grateful that work is still going and we're still able to you know make masks and make shoes and, and to to create products so you know it's it's been uh quarantine has been a lot of ups and downs
1: yeah has it i mean because you're you used to be well it used to be but i'm sure you will be again like on the road a lot has that has like not moving like has that been a, a weird thing for you because like for me I'm, I'm so used to traveling and just not being able, not being on a plane is like mad foreign to me right now.
2: <laughs> yeah, no, that's, it's super strange. I mean, it, uh, I'm, yeah, I'm used to always on being on the go. And, um, I stopped and it, uh, affected me, uh, mentally for sure. Really? It, like
1: what happened? I, I ended up in a mental
2: hospital, uh, during quarantine.
1: Wait, are you kidding?
2: No, it's real. What how did that ha- happen? Uh, the beginning of this year, I started taking Adderall, and um, I was, you know, because I was traveling and always on the go, it was helping. I was able to, you know, have my energy uh, and working out. Right, the gym's closed, so you know, I had, the, I was, I was always moving, working out, taking care of myself. So once that stopped, I. Once I stopped traveling and working out, I was still taking Adderall uh, for focus, and it became too much, and I ended up in the mental hospital.
1: Jeez. I'm um, well. It sounds like you're doing a lot better now.
2: Oh yeah, much. Yeah, I mean, I had to go through some some really tough time, dark times to to get to in better spirits, and uh, yeah, I'm grateful. I'm here, and I'm grateful that I went through what I went through. Yeah. It's actually my third time in a mental hospital. At age twenty-four, I was diagnosed bipolar and uh, ended up in the mental hospital um, a couple times when I first started making shoes for Justin Bieber. It's a whole story, but
1: what? Whoa, whoa, whoa! So, I, it's interesting you say that because I think there's something about a lot of people who. I mean, I, I did a bunch of my research on you, and obviously, I, I knew who you were before then. But everyone that I talked to that's ever interacted or worked with you, we're all like, he's a creative genius. He's a creative genius. He's, he's a mad scientist. He's a, like people that don't know each other, but all had worked with you, all use creative genius. I and I, I think it's interesting along those lines because so many people who are geniuses really agonize with a constant like mental acceleration that's happening at all times to where you like for me, I'm no genius, but I... I only feel at use to the world when I'm constantly working. If someone tells me to sit still and like puts a book in my hand, I'm like, well, wait, what is this? Hold on, hold on, hold on. What, what, what? You know? So being that you've done this, you've gone through different mental you know, challenges, What? when did you know this was a thing that you kind of had something special?
2: Looking back at it now, like looking out of uh, body experience, just like how I was as a kid, there was always something... Uh, different or unique there. But I think really um, at that age 24 when I uh, was, you know, I got a call from Justin Bieber stylist. They said, Hey, we need 10 pairs of shoes by Sunday. I think it was like Monday uh, the week before. And I was like, Oh yeah, that's possible. Like for some reason I thought anything was possible and um, which I still do, but uh, all right. I love Kevin Garnett too, man. It's all right. (laughs) But, um, (laughs) Yeah, so I, I took this big stressful project on and I was, you know, young and invincible and um, I ended up, I, w- I smoked a little bit of um, cannabis at the time, which put me in a, in a really uh, interesting state that I didn't know, mm-hmm. I've never experienced, it just put me in this um, psychotic hypnosis and um, yeah, well... Jumped, I ended up jumping out a wind jumping out of a window of a sec- my second story space building, uh, room. Excuse me, my second story house.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And um, I did that because I was trying to just get out of this psychosis. You know, it wasn't to it wasn't to kill myself. It was to wake myself up and mm-hmm. I, uh, jumped out, jumped straight through glass, landed on concrete, and uh, paramedics were looking at me. And then you know, I think the next week or two I was still I still felt like I was or then I became then I thought I was dead <laughs> like it, it's hard to explain but it, sure. I felt like I was yeah alive but dead at the same time and like um, so then going into the hospital I got diagnosed and they said I was bipolar um, so then that and then I ended up right after the, the regular hospital I went to the mental hospital which was the, Craziest experience of my life, and uh, so that's when I well, that's when that whole thing started. Of like, oh, you know, there's something going on inside of that head,
1: right? Because I mean, you had always been kind of like funneling your energy into very narrow things. In the sense of, I mean, I, I know a lot of people who love shoes. I know a lot of people who love clothes. But at 15 years old, to throw yourself into actually making them is is not that's not your average thing. What were your other friends doing at the time when you started to, like, make shoes?
2: Yeah, at uh, age 15, my friends were playing basketball or um, one of my best friends at the time was one of the guys that helped me or we worked together to, like, start our own brand. And uh, we started with T-shirts and then screen printing and then sewing T-shirts and then it went into me painting shoes. And, yeah, my other friend... I would then ended up making, shoes, you know, painting shoes for my friends because they wanted something that they couldn't get.
1: Right. But when you're saying painting shoes, this is not like me with the ballpoint pen writing on my Converse. This, you were actually painting shoes.
2: Yeah, the first pair of shoes I painted uh, was an airbrush. So I airbrushed all white AF1 mids, Nike Air Force, uh, with a camouflage print with model paint at the time because I didn't know what paint... You know, did what? But um, yeah, I airbrushed a pair and went to school. And then it was uh, such a hit that people asked me to do theirs. And then I kept doing my own because there was just something there's something about for me, I needed. Well. To circle back. Sure. I, uh, eight, you know, when I went into my freshman year of high school, I was always a uh, shy and quiet kid. I was always like, uh, I don't know if it's introverted, and um, I wore uh, my cousin let me wear her original nineteen eighty five Jordans from when they were first released ever. Which I didn't know what they meant at the time. I was just like, oh, these are cool, and I wore them to uh, my freshman year of high school, and everyone, all the older jocks and. You know, I got such an amazing response. Like, yo, across the hallway, yo, where'd you get those? Like, and it just made me feel good without having to say a word. And, you know, that, that was my extroverted part of like, oh, I needed to express myself by wearing something. And it just happened to be, you know, the original 1985 Jordan 1s. So then that's when I picked up, or then that feeling went away because I wore them once, right? So I was like, okay, well, I was looking for that feeling again and I picked up an air. I was, I was always creative as a kid playing with Legos, building forts in the backyard at a very young age and um, picked up an airbrush, airbrushed the shoes. And then I got that feeling again, except for I created that feeling myself.
1: Yeah. There's, There's something that's so kind of bizarre, I think, especially in terms of high school, because every single person at the same time is all having an identity crisis, right? Like, I mean, I, I went to two different high schools and the first high school I went to, everyone knew me because my older brother was like a cool dude. Yeah. And the other high school I went to, no one gave a shit about me and everyone thought I was an ass clown. <laughs> and and, and it, I mean, I'm not, you know, out here with a grudge, but it ruined my whole high school experience because so much of this, I just wanted this identity. But the thing that kind of set me aside and set me apart was you know, similar to what the stuff that you dealt with in the sense that it was like having clothes or making like telling telling society that I I am worth this or, or this is this is who I am indirectly. It's a very powerful thing and, and I think it's so many people I think it's also why so many people love your, your shoes because it just making something so unique and something by hand and and communicating about that is is still to this day one of the most incredible experiences anyone can have.
2: Yeah, I think Having something made for you, just for you is, uh, yeah. Like, what better experience is it to have something that only you have? You know, I mean, yeah. So, yeah. I'm, I mean, it's been a, it's been a crazy journey, and I'm grateful that I get to, you know, give uh, clients something that they would have never have gotten. Uh, but I really started it for myself. And it turned into uh, fulfilling other people's needs instead of my own.
1: I mean, good. Can you imagine if you started your business with a venture capital group and a thirty-page slide deck, and then you told them at year whatever you're going to be X amount profitable, and they're going to cap? like, yeah, right? That's so lame, man.
2: <laughs> you know what's funny about that is at age uh, twenty-one. My, da- I, I was asking my dad first to buy a mach- to help me buy a sewing machine. And he said, oh, you need a business plan. And I was like, what's a business plan, right? <laughs> <laughs>
3: like,
2: you know, dial up internet for the thing. And so I had to Yahoo search it or ask Jeeves at the time. <laughs> oh, yeah. All right. And, um, you know, found a little bit of, found some stuff. And then I f- made some sort of business plan, except for I left out all of the, the numbers and the financial part. <laughs> Um, But the funny part about the story is I'm from the same hometown that Guy Fieri is and we ran into each other randomly when I had my 21st birthday and I said, hey, would you you be willing to check out my business plan? So I still have like the original emails of sending him my business plan and him giving me, uh, you know, critiquing it and giving me feedback. Crazy. Uh, What did he say? He, he said just that. He said, Wow, this all looks pretty good. You know, I think you're missing, you know, the only thing you're really missing is kind of the financials and the,
3: the numbers.
2: And I was like, Yeah, whatever. Like,
1: <laughs> you're like, whatever, man. You're, you're making chili fries. All right. I'm making art. <laughs> oh my God. That's hilarious and amazing.
2: It's, yeah, no, it's just such a unique uh, story. And I always have to just say it because, you know, a lot of people. Uh, look at him in a native connotation and it's like, I got good uh, feedback from someone that was at that caliber at, you know, at a young age. So it, it always, you know, that always helped keep me grounded because I had friends that worked for him that were completely, you know, opposite. <laughs>
1: right. <laughs> well, man, so it's funny because Guy Fieri, a lot of people love to use as a bit of a, uh, like a lightning rod for the food industry, but he is wildly, successful and has run an extremely tight ship and how he's grown his empire over the years. I mean say what you will about that guy, but he's he's got coin and he's doing just fine. Yeah, and
2: that's the thing, no matter what, you know, whatever you're being judged on, it you know, to be at his level or anyone that's successful, it takes insane amount of work and it it's not like no one's just given something, right? You have to work at it, whether your stuff is good or not. It's like you mm-hmm. put in blood, sweat, and tears to, you know, make make something a reality.
1: Right. So back to high school, you're making shoes for folks. People are into this. When did you really kind of like put it all together? Because it, it had said that, or excuse me, not it. You had said that you had um, you had started your own clothing company too at the time. Was this... Did you do the clothing company after that?
2: Clothing company ha- it, like came before and kind of during. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was actually called L7 Wiener, you know, L7.
1: Like from the Sandlot?
2: That's right. So it came from the, uh, I don't remember how we started it, but it was like me and my friend and we was like, <laughs> yeah. Anyways, it started with shirts. So I had a big L7 cutout of a shirt and it had like um, Hawaiian print underneath that I sewed myself, my my grandmother for my senior gift, bought me a home sewing machine. While you know everyone was going to Mexico and taking trips, and I had a home sewing machine, you know, and um, so I was doing clothes and painting shoes at the same time. My senior uh, uh, prom, I mm-hmm. uh, I made a suit. I made a whole tux out of camouflage. <laughs> yeah. I had a, a camouflage tux, and I had like Air Force ones with camouflage swoosh and shoelaces glued on and uh yeah and then i was painting shoes for graduation but i think when it really came to be was after high school when i moved to charlotte it was uh, i was 19 years old i moved to charlotte north carolina
1: where where were you originally
2: so i'm from the bay area so i'm from santa rosa sonoma county it's about an hour north of san francisco right and um was a smaller it's a smaller town kind of slow and uh i moved to charlotte which was the south it was more east coast and it was like a culture shock for me um you know i was always close in san in san francisco and i spent time time at market street and some of these um places that were uh inspiring for sure but i don't know charlotte was just like a, a a life changer
1: what what were you doing in Charlotte?
2: So I helped my grandmother move from Houston to uh Charlotte because my my uncle moved there for work. So I helped her I, I flew to Houston, drove her with all of her stuff um and then I started um I was just there because I wasn't I was I was painting shoes here and there uh, back home, but at the same time I wasn't making money and I wasn't doing anything. So I was kind of wasting away back home and Right. Uh, my, my uncle gave me an opportunity to come live with him and uh, ended up getting a job. And then uh, I got a job at like a, um, a food store. Um, and then, you know, I didn't love it. And then I was always in the mall over there. And I had SoCal tatted on my arm because, funny story, I had SoCal tatted on my arm. And I you, there was a store out there called No Fear, which No Fear is from Southern California. Um, but I was going up the escalator and I would always like kind of have my arm on the escalator, sh- like showing my man
3: that too. <laughs> yeah. So
2: the manager, so the manager came up-, up to me, was like, like, cause they had SoCal t-shirts in this no fear store. And he's like, yo, like, what's up? And we just started talking and he's like, you know, would you want a job? I was like, hell yeah. I want a job in, in the mall, even though I made less money than I was at the
1: uh, <laughs> store. But, uh. You got that cred though, man. You got that tat.
2: It was it was hilarious. I was like a, I looked like a surfer. I, I don't know what my identity was at the time. Some some uh, a lot of the, the girls out there said I looked like Kevin Federline. So I don't know what that means. But...
1: So what's wrong with that dude married Britney Spears? <laughs> he,
3: he was the
2: man at one point. You're
3: right. And he
1: was that and that and it was at that point that that was the discussion. That's cool.
3: Yeah.
1: People tell me I look like Corey Feldman sometimes, and I'm like, well, wait, "What era? <laughs> yeah, what
3: what, <laughs>
1: what? what are we talking about? Are we talking about drugs? Are we talking about you know? Living with the truth?
2: I like that one. It's all about the time.
1: Yeah, right. <laughs> so you're at the No Fear shop, and you're still just kind of like chipping away at figuring out who you are, making shoes, kind of building your own identity. How old are you?
2: Uh, I was 19.
3: Okay,
1: that's a good. That's a good time.
2: <laughs> It, it was, uh, it was definitely interesting. And so I was working at the mall and, you know, painting shoes here and there, but living in North Carolina or Charlotte, I uh, randomly went to a Tandy leather factory. And if you don't know what Tandy leather is, it's like the Walmart of leather, except for, you know, not that big, as big as that, but it's just mm-hmm. like going to this store that has leather everywhere. It has tools. It, it has how to make uh, guides on different things. So it just, it opened my perspective about um, materials like leather. I didn't know leather existed. I didn't even know shoes were made out of leather. So I went in there and I was just like blown away. There was snakeskin on the wall. um, And then I started getting tools and leather and uh, working in the mall and going to all the streetwear stores. And just like being that guy that would just go around and, and talk and network. And, you know, I was young and passionate and I wanted questions answered and i wanted to be a part of something that you know i didn't even know what yet and um, i brought some leather into it and and uh, pieces of leather and some shoes into a shoe repair shop and i said hey can you sew this on this and they said yeah come back in three days and i was like i was just blown away like wait what like okay <laughs> relax. like went back and it was done And i was just like what like oh if they can do it i can do it
1: wait that's a very specific mentality If they can do it, I can do it is a lot of people view that as if they can do it,
2: I have to do X to be able to do
1: it. What made you feel like you could do it?
2: Them showing the possibility that it was possible, right? Because before that, I didn't even know what leather was. So it's just perspective opening of like, oh, this is possible. So then it's, yeah, I mean.
0: If you see me wearing a watch these days, it's from none other than Topper Jewelers. Topper is a family-owned and operated jeweler for three generations, and they're an authorized watch dealer for premium Swiss and Japanese watches from Omega, Grand Seiko, H. Moser, Longines, and more. They sell the watch you can afford now and the watch you're going to buy in the future. It's all through Topper. Topper also specializes in pre-owned watches and they carry a deep selection from references of Rolex, Tudor, Breitling and many, many more. And that selection changes every week. Best of all, if you're subscribed to the Topper email newsletter, you get access to four secret additions to their pre-owned drop every Friday morning. You get the right of first refusal on the hottest offerings of the season. So visit topperjewelers.com shop subscribe and join toppers very own watch fam check out their newest grand seiko turtle that zodiac i was wearing the other day the one they did with eric singer dude it's the kiss guy come on anyway topper jewelers t-o-p-p-e-r jewelers.com that's topperjewelers.com
2: if someone if that's the thing if i watched someone do it that i I knew i could figure it out or if something you know and that's, that's awesome That's where we're at in this world too now, right? Now you can see the world through Instagram or through internet that now it's showing that there's more things possible than before.
1: Which is great. But I think, you know, the only counter to that, and it's, I'm so grateful for people like you, you see things, you, you realize that there really is no barrier. You can do it yourself and you can do it better. And a lot of people see that too. And they're like, oh, cool. I can do this too. But then they start making stuff and it may not be so good yeah
2: i mean that was that was how it was for me at the beginning and that mentality was the one that you know part of that mentality ended me up in a or you know allowed me to get into the mental hospital you know sure
1: so i mean it's a double-edged sword but i mean just the the confidence and the curiosity that i mean that's that's really fantastic so you see how these folks are making shoes and then you're like all right i'm going in
2: yeah, I was, well, I ended up getting in trouble in Northern California, in North Carolina. So then I moved back home. And um, then I, that's when I started searching out shoe repair shops. Hmm. And the first guy I went to was like, I just went in there, you know, 19 years old kid, 19 year old kid, just passionate, trying to learn. And I said, Hey, you know, I went into the spot and said, uh, you know, I would love to learn and you know, know what your machines do and this. And he said, looked at me and he just said, Fuck you, get out of here. You're gonna take off the treatment. Like okay. really, harsh, really harsh. And I was just like, wait, what? Like it put me in that in a in a I was I turned angry. I didn't know how to feel. I've never experienced that like at that of course. caliber. So then I left and then he and then he came outside after and he, he was I think he was trying to like say sorry or something. I just said fuck you get out, and then I left.
1: Yeah, I I'd do the same.
2: You know, nineteen years old like yeah, I I don't know. It was it was a mix of emotions. Like, wait, what? But yeah, you know the funniest part about that was the same day I went to another shoe repair shop. You know what I mean? Like, I don't care if nothing's gonna. If if I want to learn something, no one's gonna get in my way of that. Mm-hmm. So I went down to another shoe repair shop, and the same thing. I said, "Hey, I want to learn. Like, this is so cool." And uh, he was at least willing to hear me, and he was willing to talk here and there, but. I don't know if you've ever been to a shoe repair shop. It's not the funnest place to work or be you know, mm-hmm. in everywhere shoes. I mean, they're, they're fixing shoes for like $5 and it's like, you you. it's, it's a very labor intensive uh, job, especially with the people that come in there to fix their shoes that don't even want to spend the money. It's just like, it's, yeah. it makes sense why it's a dying uh, craft. Mm. But, um, he was busy. He was just so busy that he, I, you know, I didn't get that vibe from him. And I was just like, "All right, well, thank you so much for your time." And then I went to a third guy. Oh, geez! And the third guy um, was Daryl Fazio. He was an older uh, Italian gentleman that loved to talk, which was which was a, was was uh, a blessing for me because he just loved to talk to his customers, and he was willing to talk to me. He said, "Yeah, you should get this machine. It does this," um, and I was just blown away like that. He, you know, it was yes they were repairing something, but there was to me I saw it differently. I was just like, you know, because they didn't do sneakers. It was just like t- new tools or new ways to create something. So um, he suggested where I can buy a machine, and then that's when I went to my dad and said, hey, you know, this this is the machine I need to do this this thing, this custom shoes. And he's like, write me a business plan, and then I got into that. And uh, but yeah. But that time when he, uh, Daryl Fazio was told me about the machine, I said, Hey, I want to learn from you. Like I want to, you know, you know, what's it going to take for me to come back there and learn? And he's just like, no, you know, like, you know, you could be a liability. You know, you could sue me if you get hurt. Right. We're in California, you know, so. Right. That's true. So, but what I did was the next day, I just went back to the shop and I watched from the other side of the counter. I was so uh, intrigued by what he was doing that nothing would take me away from that. Like I would just watch him. And then eventually he was like, all right, like this (laughs) kid.
1: This guy's not going home. All right. (laughs) All right. Come over here.
2: (laughs) So yeah. And then I started, uh, I learned how to fix resole boots. I was fixing high heels. I was fixing purses. Um, and yeah, I was, uh, I was then turning, Vans into boots, like I was putting boot soles on vans. You know, I was I was taking the techniques that I was learning from him and Mm -hmm. putting my art, which you know were sneakers because that's what I that's what I loved at the time.
1: Yeah, because I imagine a lot of the shoes that you were bringing in, or that that he had there, you know, their Aldens, their Goodyear welted shoes, their leather soled shoes, and
3: yeah,
2: they had Wesco work boots. They had a lot of police boots. He had the he had a Red Wing account, so we were fixing a bunch of Red Wing boots um, you know, high heels for women. Um, it, like you said, Alden. Yeah, it was, it was more dress stuff, which I, which I felt I, I become, I became more in love with boots during that time uh, because, mm-hmm. because of it.
1: And then how did you, and then you eventually make your way up to Oregon, right? Cause you, you started, you started to get a bit deeper in all the shoe construction.
2: Yeah. So, I mean, after that, uh, I learned a lot of shoe repair stuff, which he didn't know anything about shoemaking. I mean, he was aware of it, but it was, that wasn't his craft. His was really repairing, which is, that takes a lot of art within its own right.
3: Mm -hmm.
2: Then I started searching out, like, I need to learn how to make shoes. And I, you know, I found this, uh, shoe school, Bonnie and Will's shoe school where they were teaching how to make brogues, wingtips, boots, you know, um, welted shoes. And that's not what I wanted to learn, but I understood that like, if I learned that, that I would be able to you know, translate it. But at the same time, I was like, I didn't want to go spend, I mean, that was a lot of money for me. I think if I, if I remember correctly, it was 2,500 um, to take this course, but I emailed them and I, I sent them, I said, Hey, I want to learn how to make a sneaker. Have you ever done a sneaker before? And he said, no, but, you know, I might be willing to help you. You know, I might be able to take you on, which was, you know, that's hard to find, I feel like, to find someone that's like willing to learn with you or to, 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 to do something out of their wheelhouse. Hmm. So I went up to Ashland, Oregon. It's a small town. Um, and I had this crazy sneaker design. It was a class of eight other students where they were all making boots. And I was this one... I, I just stood out for sure. I had tattoos. I was like, I was already you got making-
1: your SoCal on your arm. Yeah,
2: on my arm. I was already making shoes for Justin Bieber, so I was like a star.
3: Oh, okay, like okay. I
2: was, this fucking, you know, this this cool guy, or at least that was my ego at the time telling me that, right? Right. And um, yeah, I mean, it was uh, it was a crazy experience. The teacher, you know, was learning as he went, but all of it. The shoe didn't turn out great, but that's, you know, that's, you know, we'll get into that later, but that's why I teach now. But, um, and learning how to make a dress shoe is so much different from a sneaker because proportions are different. Patterns are different. The sole is different. The construction is different. Um, so yes, the basics are there, but it's, it's, it's just a whole different medium and it's something else to learn. So, um, even the teacher was having a tough time with, with, uh, proportions and stuff. Well,
1: cause what are, if you, if you could quickly summarize the, the foundational differences between say a Alden loafer and a van slip on or something you would customize.
2: Right. Those are a little bit more similar. Um, the, the little bit more because it, uh, it's an Oxford, um, but the shoe I designed looked like a Rick Owens meets a Supra Android home and just this crazy futuristic shoe. But the difference would be the sole, mm. the sole on a sneaker, like a Vans is glued on or, and a, you know, an Alden's would be a welted construction, right? right. Like leather soles. And you don't need, yeah, it's a, it's not a cup sole. It's um, just different.
1: Yeah. I mean because it, it's interesting i mean i i worked in uh like a custom menswear company for a while and we worked with a lot of different shoe manufacturers and a bunch of them were bespoke folks out of japan uh and these were you know all hand welted all dress shoes not, nothing along the sneaker line but all dress shoes that would take you know eons to make uh and even people like yohei Fukuda and koji suzuki and all these folks out of japan to wear for them, the, the high art was making classic, you know, classic, yeah. I'm air quoting here, shoes. But I would argue now, especially after seeing so many of your designs, I've seen some of your stuff in person. Um, it is it is even more of a high art to see the, the stuff that you're making, you know, that's that's all like different forms of leather and that, that are all tennis shoes and sneakers. And if anything, I, I kind of wonder if this was like that with you, you know, you see something, you're curious, you want to know more. I wonder how many other people you're turning on to all types of other shoes who are seeing and experiencing what custom shoemaking is from you first.
2: Yeah. No, I think, you know, the sneaker just happened to be something that I, I was tied to as a kid. And then I needed to, you know, I needed to make... I, needed to, I, had a, I also had a uh, Western bootmaker mentor in a small... Mm small town where I was from in Sebastopol and he was making Western boots for people like Leonardo DiCaprio or, um, what's his name? George Lucas. Okay. Right? So I was just like, there's this little guy with the shoe repair shop that actually is, makes these crazy, you know, 3000, or I think the, the most expensive one at the, or the cheapest one at the time was like 1500. And I was like, as a kid, I was like, Holy shit. That's a lot of money. Yeah. And, um, I was like, wow, he did I didn't learn how to make boots from him, but I just saw how passionate he was about his craft. And I was like, that's what I want for sneakers.
3: Hmm. It
2: didn't exist. Right. I was always searching this thing that didn't, it wasn't a thing. It was, you know, I was always seeing this niche that I needed to, I gravitated towards and, uh, yeah. And it happened to be sneakers and now we, we I teach as well now, and it's really about focusing on the process it's trusting the process because once you trust the process and you get the process down you can your art can go in any direction or your shoe or your design can go anywhere so yeah i mean some of the classes that we teach now we teach basic like basics in a sense it's a jordan one they teach the we teach them the process but now some of these students are making unique designs they're making you're know, changing the patterns they're making their own designs it's not even a nike anymore so um it's it's been such a uh, an amazing opportunity to teach and give back and like really dive back and focus on the process because that was something i was missing as a as a student of life yeah i was when i learned a bunch of stuff i had to piece everything together i had to I also was so creative that I had an idea and I had another idea. So then I had multiple ideas, you know, laying out and I would never finish stuff. So it took me longer to learn because I wasn't, you know, I didn't have anyone to to teach me A to Z.
1: Yeah. Cause the school that you started is relatively new in in, you know, in your career uh as as being a shoemaker, right? I mean it's what this twenty seventeen?
2: Yeah, yeah. Three yeah, three years.
1: Yeah. Yeah. how? What led to that? Because, I mean, you were making shoes for a while. And was the team just you and what a couple other people?
2: Um, At the time, it was just me. And then it became me and my wife. She would help me with everything. And then it was uh, me and some friends. And then it was, yeah, Yeah, me and friends. And that's when I went up there and learned. And then it became me and and a a few... Few people on the team, maybe three other guys, and yeah. um, my mentor, uh, Michael Anthony, who was the Western bootmaker. Me and him at when I met him at age nineteen, we clicked. You know, he made shoes or he made boots, and I was just like, "Oh, I want to learn how to make stuff." And uh, we were both eccentric, very eccentric, very you know, out of there, and we clicked, and we're like we need to one day open up a school, a trade school, you know, because I barely graduated. I, I shouldn't have graduated. Um, And we were just like, there needs to be more hands-on learning. There needs to be Mm -hmm. learning, you know, You, you know, we're all unique. And even to this day, everyone, every person is different. Everyone learns different, but why are we, you know, why are we farmed into, you know, doing, you know, public school, doing trying to, learning one way, but you know, it's because it's also become a business and it's efficient to teach the same thing, which now I've learned that in teaching my own school. So it's (laughs) funny, but um, yeah. So then I uh, living in LA, I moved to LA and I, I got a call from uh, Brooklyn shoe space who uh, was a, a a shoemaker, uh, female shoemakers in Brooklyn and mm-hmm. that hey you know we would love for you to teach and I, I was it gave me an opportunity so I went out to Brooklyn and taught my first class um, it was extremely stressful but it was rewarding at the same time
1: yeah I think uh, a lot of there are a lot of great you know musicians and great craftsmen and artisans but to be a great teacher that that doesn't always equate. And I, because there's so much patience that's required in teaching. I'm curious, how was your patience level for people, given the fact that you had started out in a similar way by, you know, what it sounds like you were, you kind of just like, you stood there until they hired you or until they taught you. Let me.
3: Yeah.
2: Um, I think because of some of my mentors and, and the first guy cursing me away Mm. um, that I didn't want to be that type of person, which is also why I, I taught,
3: mm-hmm.
2: and, um, but my patience with students,
3: uh, yeah, it was definitely,
2: you know, I definitely show emotion and there's definitely times of being frustrated because that first class, I, I let every student bring their own shoe. It was all, everyone had a different shoe from a Balenciaga to a Kobe, uh, mm-hmm. to RIP to Kobe, uh, yeah. A Jordan One, a Jordan Five. Um, everyone had just a different shoe, which is is insane to try to teach different patterns in one you know five day class. So you know, I it was, it was I always had to learn as I go, right? So right, but I what really got me in that class because like the fifth day I was just like burnt out and I was like, "Fuck this! I'm never going to teach again." And two of the students didn't finish. So then it was like the Saturday after and and two of the students were going to stay there and finish the shoe. And so I, I went another day to help two students finish their shoe. And I just saw how dedicated and passionate they were about wanting to finish their shoe. That just like gave me life. I'm just like, damn, that was me. You know what I mean? Like.
3: Yeah, that was yeah.
2: Just like it, it was all full circle, and I was like, I need to do this because you know it it might be stressful, but there is a bigger purpose, and and that's when like my, I mean, the business has grown exponentially since then. But it's like that's one of the main whys of why I do what I do. Like the shoes and the sneakers gave me a voice without having to talk, but it's giving me a way to help change people's lives. And it's not just about them wanting to make sneakers or shoes. It's about you know, motivating them to, you know, do something that they thought they would never do. That in
1: itself is the difference of what separates someone who makes stuff and like someone who's really great. Because, I mean, I think it's awesome that you made shoes for all these cool people. But at the end of the day, and I hope you take this as a compliment, none of that shit matters. No,
2: you're 100% right. I'm with you
1: it's all about how you're equipping and really changing the world because you're empowering people and that that's the that it to me is something that like i will nearly scream about that is the most important thing is cuz when you're empowered you you can just be a better person you you're nicer you're you're more welcoming you you know i mean you and mostly the time god god bless in a perfect world empowering people are going to do that to others right. you know you don't view your skill and your and your talent as something you need to squirrel away and squander. It is something that you feel you're going to better serve the entire world by sharing that.
2: Yep. I mean, and I'm with you a hundred percent. Like, you know, I've enjoyed making shoes for some of the biggest stars in the world, but, um, that's not full fulfillment. And yes, I'm grateful that they recognize the art and, um, but at the same time, that's what the media wants, and that's also how to build the following and kind of build the eyeballs to then uh, get to more people that then you can change their lives, right? So, it for me, it's always been both um, because it yeah. helped build the platform bigger and larger. So now I can, uh, I have there's more eyes and there's more views on me, you know, because I made shoes for LeBron James. But then it's a kid that saw that, but then will take a class, right? That's right. Yeah.
1: Cold
0: yet? Fall is here and it's time to get your wardrobe ready for the new normal. You want to look nice, but you want to look like yourself. Check out P. Johnson for your new wardrobe. P. Johnson is the perfect blend of classic and contemporary fashion. It's nice clothes, but you don't look like you're trying too hard. But don't take my word for it. Ask Patrick Johnson himself. Their Instagram is a never ending mine of how to dress well in our new age and look good. I've been a massive fan of P. Johnson for years. It is the luxe, cool Italian gent vibe, but the perfect blend of the casualness of the Australian way of life. Visit pjt.com to learn more. And while you're at it, check out their utility vest. It's absolutely perfect for knits, button downs. The vest is the vibe. Or my personal favorite, the drawstring trousers. I ordered one a while back in brown corduroy, and it is perfect with my navy sport coat or simple knits. Look, it's my favorite clothing brand. And if you've been listening to The Bee long enough, you already know. So visit PJT.com.
2: I was recently on a, sh- on a, a show with Jeff Goldblum, um, Life According to Jeff.
1: Oh yeah, I know, it's fantastic. It was yeah, good. It,
2: it, it, he, his energy is amazing, by the way. But, <laughs> um, you know, I got eyeballs on that. I got I- eyeballs on that and because, you know, that is a mass, more a mass, marketed thing that more people are coming to the class cuz they see my story, right? Yeah. So, you know, I mean, everything plays a part in it, but I'm with you 100%. It's the bigger pers- purpose is how do I empower people to, you know, learn what what whether it's learning shoes or just learning how to be um, a better person because you know, a lot of people come to the class and they don't know what to expect. We get everyone from age 13 to age 80, right? You get oh, wow. of types of people. It's a it's a huge, it's, var- it's so much variety of someone that wants to start a business, someone that quit their job that just wants to do something for themselves. Uh, I mean, you name it. And um, one thing I practice in all of the classes are daily affirmations and and I let, I talk about what I've went through and what I continue to go through. And I connect with them deeper on like, you know, the first day is gratitude. So we go around the room and share gratitude. You know, I, I ask them if they don't want to share, they don't have to, but normally every class they share what they're grateful for. I talk about what I'm grateful for. And, and then the next day is something else. And it's like, that's the stuff that makes me feel good because I know people, I know we're in this world. It's a, it's a crazy world, especially the time now of it's a tough time. And, you know, as a kid, life was tough. So the more you can help people and internally, um, just the more, the, the, the better the world will get.
3: Yeah.
1: What I'm very curious, where did the, the whole idea and mindset of, daily affirmations and gratitude come from, and and especially in place of putting it at a school to teach people how to make footwear?
2: Yeah, because it's true to my life because, you know, like I I ended up in the mental hospital at age 24, ended up there age 25 again um, because part of being in the mental hospital was because I was not taking care of my health. And I was in my mind um, overthinking or, you know, living in a state of, uh, anxiety or, or living in, um, depression. And I just did so much research on my own and then met, you know, met people and learned more about meditation, meditation, you know, started searching out YouTube videos that were medita- meditative and, um, learned about affirmation, started compiling all this stuff together. And it was true to my life. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm very authentic and I want to, uh, Incorporate my life into what I teach. It's not just you know here's the shoe, this what it looks like. And it needs to be perfect, and that's it. It's like I'm very personable, and that's how I built relationships and have I built my business was I was always very close with uh, anyone that was you know working with me or for me. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm just very. I've always been better one-on-one with people uh, when it comes to relationships. Uh, mm-hmm. But I've been learning in these classes to also you know, share, share healthy tools to overcome tough times.
1: Yeah. I mean, because it sounds like people are learning more about how to love themselves than how to make shoes, which is even better. I mean, <laughs> just, I, I'm endlessly fascinated by by our discussion on this. I mean,
2: I think it's like, it yeah, it, it coincides for me. Like it wasn't just like, oh, I needed to learn shoes so I can, you know, make a lot of money. It was like me going through these challenges uh, with myself, right? So I'm, you know, constantly, you know, it was me, you know, learning to love myself and what I had to go through. And now I like to, I like to preach it and share it faster so someone can hear about it and learn about it faster, right? So someone can get, you know, someone can heal faster than I did. Um, and then they can share it. And mm. that's the biggest thing is like, how do we uh, promote positivity or realness, you know, without it being over the top and it's done when, you know, these students from all over all over the world come and it's like such an amazing experience. And I'm again, grateful that I'm able to still be alive with all the stuff that I've been through to then give that, to someone else. And like I said, the shoes and the sneakers were just the beginning, but that's what helped build a platform to now give me a voice to really, you know, bigger pictures help change other people's lives, which, you know, helps me continue to drive forward.
1: Yeah. At one point in your, in your career, did you feel that you were successful?
2: That's a good question. Um, recently. Yeah. Um, I think very recently, like in the, I think since this quarantine, uh, I mean, let me, let me take that back. I would no, say you're fine. Like within the last couple of years. Um, but that was the same thing. It's like, everyone has a different level of or measurement of what success is.
1: Yeah, exactly.
2: And I think, or I know that these classes are how I, Measure success, right? More people I can help, the more people I can share my life with, and be like a taste, a a test case for. That's like that's success. Um, but you know, at age twenty-four, when I was making shoes for Justin Bieber, I thought I was hot shit. Right? This was when I had to go over my ego and like I thought I was the man. I didn't make, I mean, I made like 15 grand a month, one month, and then I ended up in the mental hospitals. But it was like, you know, those are things you have to go, go through in life, or at least I did. I had to go through these, these tough times that I technically put on myself to then get to a level of, oh, that's what success is, right? So everyone has a different measurement. And uh, yeah, I would say the last couple of years of, you know, because as an artist, I'm I'm I've I've been so ungrateful for what I have. I've been so ungrateful for um everything. And Wait,
1: what makes you that, think you're ungrateful?
2: Uh part of that is like this this sense of perfection, right? I've always been mm. after and, and a lot of artists can relate, I'm sure, but it's like perfection. Like even my shoes to this day are not good enough, right? Really? They're not good enough. When will, when when will that end? Never but but sharing gratitude and being like okay well it is it's good and well it's not good enough to me but it's good enough for my client
1: right yeah i understand yeah
2: so you know even the new space i'm building this new space is like oh i wish it could be better here so i'm 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 learning quickly this quarantine of like how to just to, to shift the perspective like to be more grateful and to be grateful for where you are. And what I've found out about that is now I'm becoming more creative. I'm being, I'm happier. I get more done. You know, I, yeah, just, I don't know. It's I'm yeah, of course it's not going to be good enough, but at least I'm at least being more aware of it and not like letting that overpower my thoughts and letting that uh, affect my mood. Because yeah. I, can, I can go to the to I can go to the other room and look at a shoe, I can find one stitch that's off and I you know, but it's like that's that's the blessing. That's the that's the blessed, that's the the curse and the blessing at the same time.
1: Yeah. When you do you like how often do you go and view other you know shoe companies or brands shoes and, and you know and kind of critique them? Like like for example, like what do you think of VizVim shoes?
2: I look at everything like art. Um, everyone has, and a lot of people don't like it. a lot of people want, a lot of people want more uh, critiquing, I feel like, from me. But the only ones are, I really critique is myself. You know, I've been at that, sure. point, I've, I've been at that point in my career where I used to hate on people's stuff and talk shit and like, just not be aware. And, you know, so that being said, Visvum, what they did is, ex- oh, you know, this also goes back into learning how to build a business. Mm. That shit's hard. doesn't matter what it is. I don't care yeah. if you're Kanye or if you're anyone, like him to get where he's at, like that took insane amount of work. So if you're going to hate on someone for, for, for that, then, then you got something wrong with you. So um, Visvum's good. It's great for what it is. They make, they make high quality, uh, products that's you know that has an authentic story to to the designer Mm -hmm. um you know it's you know and then you know i think because of kanye and a few other people they helped make it more of a thing in the united states and that's when hype comes right so originally the brand was just an amazing brand and then you get someone that respects it and makes it puts it into a trend and makes it hype so then it's like you don't know which way to look at it, but mm. I think it's a good product. I mean, I think I don't own anything because me spending thousand dollars on a pair of shoes is nuts to me. Even though our shoes are five thousand dollars,
1: yeah, I was gonna say,
2: <laughs> but um, it, I I enjoy it for what it is. I don't. I actually I, re, I remember being younger and actually looking at that brand. Now, looking back at it, it's just like, damn, it's such a good brand. It's classic. It's simple. It looks comfortable. And I was just like, that's that's a good brand. It, it's a really well-made brand.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's because I remember, and the reason why I'd mentioned VisVim is because so many people were caught off guard by the FBT. I mean, still to this day, I have a pair of FBTs and I wear them and people are like, what the, you I have, know.
2: I have two in the shop that I, I glue sold. I re-glued the soles for a friend of mine. It's such, yeah. a, it's it's such a, it's 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 nice. It's really nice.
1: Yeah, you know, of all the, the you know this the kind of streetwear shoes and stuff that you make, do you ever get people coming in with requests for kind of some of the more classic shoes, like like loafers or oxfords or any of that stuff? Or are you just like, no, we don't do it.
2: That's what I've also learned from that first class that I ever taught was. <laughs> When you have a business and you need to start teaching people how to do something, it's mm-hmm. expensive to try to teach the team multiple things. So, you know, we focus on sneakers, but even when you change the silhouette, it's a curveball for the team, right? Mm. So, yes, I've made um, high heels. Yes, I've made. You know loafers for my best friend's wedding. I made him a pair of loafers, but no, I I mean, I will turn it down because it's just, it's very expensive to do because you're starting over and you have to teach, you know, you have to teach people something. And it's so, yeah, I mean, eventually one day I will definitely have a part of it because I'm more into boots and I'm more into loafers, like than you would think, like Sneak. Everyone thinks I'm really into sneakers when I'm just love me. I'm just more of a craftsman. I love teaching Mm. or I love making things no matter what it is like furniture, uh, lamps, tables, uh, art. I'm just a creator.
1: Wait, wait, wait. Furniture, lamps, tables and art. When did that come in?
2: And I've been doing um, it's more like a side project. It's more of like a personal fulfillment. So, okay, I've been doing it for the I've been making stuff for the past eight years. Okay, I have a couple, uh, you know, really cool lamps that I've built and, um, yeah, just, you know, making little tape, like coffee tables with a lot of it was like going to a, going to a, um, a farmer's market or a flea flea market, finding some stuff and turning it into something, right. Repurposing and,
3: uh, clothing as
2: well. Um, I just like making stuff, but the biggest focus, you know, is the sneakers because, and that's what everyone sees. Right, right. You know, and that's also what's been challenging for building a business is, right, the brand name is The Shoe Surgeon. So so for me to like to make a jacket, which I do and I have, it's just kind of uh, uh, weird to me. So I am, you know, going from The Shoe Surgeon to The Surgeon.
1: I was going to say, I believe your domain name is The Surgeon. Yeah,
2: (laughs) Yeah, so we have the Instagram account, we have all of that. So eventually, in the near future, it's going to go to the surgeon. Um, and just, I'm just a, you know, I still feel like a kid that just wants to create and make stuff. Like the sneakers are what people see. The sneakers are what sell. But you know, I'm looking, I'm staring at my coffee table. I have a, a my own boot that I have actually made from scratch. Um, you know, I have the lamps, I have couches, and you know, eventually, all of this stuff, stuff will become people will be able to see it. But right now it's, 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 you know, been fairly challenging to wrangle a business, uh, you know, from a kid making shoes in a garage to now, you know, teaching worldwide, um, in making endless amounts of shoes, high, high quality shoes. And, um, yeah, it's just, uh, I'm so grateful for where I'm at.
1: Yeah you had said like a kid. You you have two kids, I believe, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: My my how
1: was uh how did becoming a parent change your work ethic?
2: When my oldest when when my wife was pregnant with the first at the time, it was uh she was actually working with me, right? And there's a lot of chemicals used when you make shoes. So I think oh. like six months prior to uh, birth, I was like, all right, no more. You're not gonna work anymore. You're gonna, you know, take care of the baby. I don't want you around this stuff. Sure. And I just I went in, I guess you call it berserk mode. Like there is no, you know, I already wouldn't quit. I would never give up, but that just made it even more real that now I I had to provide for not only myself, I had to provide for my my wife. I had to provide for the kid, my you know, my my kid that was coming. Mm -hmm. And um yeah, I just I went even harder, I guess.
1: Yeah, it's a very I I mean I ask is I I have a two-year-old or almost three year old. And the the mentality, it's it's so difficult to describe. But I I mean, that feeling that kicks when you realize like, oh wait, like if I don't eat, it's not that big of a deal. I'll figure something out. I'm I'm always gonna be fine. But when you realize there's this other person that can't take care of themselves and they're relying upon you. In a, in a way, it's an amazing opportunity to really, you know, serve and change the world. But on the other hand, it's freaky as hell.
2: <laughs> it's definitely scary. Fight or fight, right? Fight or fight. Yeah. But you have a boy or a girl?
1: A uh, little girl. Uh, yeah. Her name's Harriet. Yeah. Thanks. No, it's, it's awesome. We're, I mean, she's, she's my whole world. She's the number one reason I, I will do anything. Um, You know, and it's cool because she uh she's added personality now. Where she's getting really into to clothes and shoes and she wants she wants to dress herself and she has these like, you know, frozen the the like ballerina slippers and she walks around the house in them and she's so fucking proud. She is just so happy and she's marching around in these like little plastic like ballet flats. And you know, it's amazing because still look at two years old, no one told her, but she feels the empowerment when you wear something cool.
2: That's, it's so, that's funny because my daughter just turned two and like, I'm just started building my relationship with her a little bit more because she's coming into, she's being her own, she's becoming her own person. Like I already yeah. have a relationship with my son who's four and a half, but like my daughter is like, she's, it's, it's a whole different game. And it's like, yeah, like her wearing these little dresses and she wants specific shoes and oh yeah she's, uh, yeah, it's, she's, she's amazing. That's
3: awesome. And your daughter as well
1: yeah i mean it's it's just a ton of fun but i i'm i'm very grateful to what i always thought i had a, a very strong work ethic and seeing what you know getting married and then and then obviously having kids what does your work ethic you're just like okay like I, I'm, I'm into this um oh okay so uh, as you're making shoes and stuff within your business if you don't mind like how many shoes are you making a, a year
2: um Again, to go back to my first business plan, where it's you know I needed more numbers and financial. I'm uh, the guy fieri one. Yep. Yeah, still I'm not really that great at it. Uh, I've brought on a business partner three about three years ago, so he he's better with numbers and stuff, which is what I'm learning. I'm
3: uh, I'm learning more about
2: because I just like learning, so I'm going to be learning that. But you know, I would say you can do the math, but I would say a couple you know a couple pairs a day okay so i don't know what's that 365 times two so 650 i mean give or take and that depends on if i do a, a larger run for a partner that i need to do like 50 pairs for so i don't know i'd say a th- you know, somewhere around you know thousand
1: so i mean that that's pretty intense then, because it, it takes a lot of time to make each pair of shoe
2: yeah it's 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 uh it's very intense because everything is handmade, everything is custom. It's not, you know, in in Italy and in, in factories all over the world, they're doing thousand pairs, you know, a week. They're doing thousand pairs a day, kind of shit. And yeah, you know, everything is so uh, handmade and bespoke that you know, it's 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 tough to produce right fast.
3: Yeah,
1: yeah, especially in a in a kind of a high client experience in which you know i mean i worked when i was working we were selling bespoke suits the worst thing we could ever tell a potential client was no and a lot of times they would be like well cool if i just pay more can i get it quicker and we're like no yeah like it just it doesn't it doesn't happen
2: yeah quality over um, quantity
3: i guess yeah yeah
2: I'm, per, I've this the last five months of COVID, if you want to call it that, or just personal development, I've been going through so much to, to become a better person. And I was stuck for like a year and a half of, you know, in this world of making something that I've, you know, when I first made a custom Jordan, I was, I didn't, lo- once I made it, it was cool and I was over it. And then everyone wanted it. Right. So then I had to overcome this feeling of like, hmm. Like, oh, now I'm just creating what people want. And I lost this, you know, self-fulfillment. And uh, recently I started exploring. I'm exploring, like I said, more, more of the furniture and art, the shoes or um, clothing. And uh, I'm I'm going to be developing more of a collection that's going to just be like a curveball for the world to see. That's just like more about who I am rather than what the client wants, you know, because it's easy now to fulfill a, a client's needs, but it's very, it's been challenging to, feel, to fulfill my own needs. Yeah. So yeah, that's where, that's where I'm at. And uh, you know, if you, if you're in LA, I would love for you to visit this new studio that I have des- designed and built. It's like uh, Alice in Wonderland or Willy Wonka's chocolate factory for okay. creatives. Um, Sold. And, uh, it's really about the experience for me. Like it's not, it's, it's never been about the shoe. It's about, you know, whether it's giving a client an experience, they'll never get anywhere else or having a student come to a class, which is an experience they're never going to get again. And it's like, that's, what's important to me. And that's something that will live forever. You know, the product will come and go, but
3: yeah, it's really
2: about that experience.
1: I, you know, a lot of the stuff that you're talking about, it reminds me, I I recently finished the Walter Isaacson biography of Leonardo da Vinci. And in a way, it was like, I was very um, inspired by the entire thing. And the fact that da Vinci, first off, I had no idea, like, a lot of times, he just wouldn't complete work. If he if he lost his passion, he was just like, nah, and would just walk away. And in some cases, like, you know, take, for example, the Mona Lisa or things like that. He carried it with him for decades and would just continue and go back and try to refine it over and over and over again. And a lot of this is documented because he had people who were documenting his life. And he also kept, as everyone knows, like pretty incredible journals. But the thing that I'm curious about that I kind of see a little bit in you is he, at the time, the world really wanted his art, but he viewed that as like cool i can make some money selling my art and then i can do what i really want to do which is in his world was uh learn why the you know the, the the oceans came and go like learn about tides learn about the moon like all of these other things because he was so constantly curious but for him he was like cool i can make my art and that's where the world is 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 giving me the ability to dive deeper into my other passions
2: that's, I mean, that's such a good way to look at it. Cause I think some people don't ever get to reach that of, oh, yeah. you know, some people, I mean, even for me, it was tough in the beginning of to sell my art, right? Like I didn't even want to sell it. So like to look at it the way he did is, is amazing. And what I've also learned as an artist is you can't, well, I can't get caught up too much on per- perfection. Like if, mm. it's better to put something out than to not because then it will never live and no no one will ever see it and it'll die and then you'll be in this dark place so i'm I'm also learning to put stuff out there people are going to hate it people are going to love it some people don't even care and it is what it is so you know like i think that's cool that he was able to constantly take his art and work on it over a period of time um and I think that's even what I'm doing in a sense that I have lamps that I worked on 10 years ago that I'm going to start, you know, reworking on and, and getting back to that as well. But at yeah. the same time I need to keep putting out my sneaker art, you know, in a sense, so I can, you know, help pay for the things and, and the dreams that I have of everything else in my life.
1: Yeah. I mean, cause I mean, from what I'm, I'm gathering, it's, I mean, Sounds like you know you're an evolution and a constant work in progress. From you teaching and equipping others to you know this what appears to be this kind of like additional spirituality that and and gra- gratitude that kind of like seeps through all of your work. It's it's actually really beautiful.
2: Thanks, man. Well, I, I really appreciate it.
1: Well, Dominic, thank you again so much. This was a this was a real pleasure. Thank you. All right, man. I'll talk to you soon. Have a good one. All right, bye. You've
0: been listening to Blammo. Our theme music is by Breakmaster Cylinder. We're edited by Brendan Finn and we're produced by Blammo Media. You can follow along with us on Instagram at Blammo Podcast and leave a review for us on your favorite podcast app. Look, I don't get reviews. I don't even care about reviews, but they help the show. So do it for the B. Want even more Blammo? Head over to patreon.com forward slash Blammo to join the Blam fam. You'll get access to additional interviews, a community slack, special events, and more. We got one coming up next week. But best of all, you're supporting the show. So thanks, everyone. We'll see you next week. Whew, love it. See ya.